the very first episode of our new monthly podcast called Time of the Month. And in this podcast, we are going to be discussing issues related to women today and also explore women in the Bible. You know, how women are treated in the Bible and and bring to the forefront the forgotten women in the Bible. Give these women a voice and look at them afresh. So I'm Laura and co-hosting the podcast with me um, for the series is Linda Pollock. Hello, Linda. How are you doing, Laura? It's good to be with you again. Fantastic. I'm, I'm really excited about this today. And can you tell our listeners a wee bit about yourself? Well, um, I live in Glasgow, but I'm soon to be moving up to the northeast to a village called Lawrence Kirk. And I'm very fortunate to have lived in many, many places in Scotland and indeed around the world. I'm a minister of Word and Sacrament. Um, so in some ways, I'm carrying a lot of baggage with scripture for women. But in other ways, I hope that I'll be able to be liberated and continue my liberation from that baggage in the days ahead, especially as we talk about this time of the month thing together. Well, thank you, Linda. And joining us, I'm really excited that joining us for our first podcast uh, is our guest today, Moira Winterskill. Hello, Moira. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, fine. It's lovely to be with you both. And you are a fourth year candidate for ministry, isn't that right, Moira? Yep, um, nearly at the end of the, the four years of training. Um, I study at New College in Edinburgh and I live in Edinburgh. Um, and at the moment, I'm a local minister for a church um, in Edinburgh as well. So um, it's, it's it's good. It's strange times with COVID. I've not actually met anybody from the church face to face, but I feel still as if I'm getting to know them. So that's good. Oh, thank you, Moira. And it's uh, I'm sure that um, some of your uh, people at the church will listen in um, to this podcast too. We'll give them something to think about. Yeah, I hope so. That'd be lovely. I'll certainly tell them about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've I've told quite a few people actually that we're we're doing this podcast, you know, focusing on women's issues, women in the Bible, and it's really piqued a lot of people's interest. So it has, and I was wondering why do you think that it's actually really important that we have these discussions? Well, I think for, for me, I mean, at the moment at New College, I'm taking a course in um, women and gender in the New Testament. And I think um, certainly scholars have found that women's stories aren't really told in the New Testament. Um, we tend just to get the very briefest of mentions of women. Um, and that's sort of reflective of how society was. Not, not so much that women weren't there or weren't involved, but just that their stories have been lost. So I think it's really important that we take the time to, to recognise that women would be part of the gospel story and, um, you know, just try and flesh out for ourselves what we can about what they might have been up to. Yeah. Aye. What about you, Linda? Well, I think that in our day and age, 2021, everywhere we look, women have a voice. It may not be as big a voice 
or a voice that is as well listened to as, as the men in our culture. But I think it's time we caught up in the church. Um, and I think it's time that we empowered women to speak out. You look at the pews, it's mostly women and mostly older women. And these older women have had so much experience and they have so much to contribute. It's time we listened. It's time we were listened to. And I think that it's really, really important that we take all that we've had to live with, all that we've absorbed, um, and all that we have been shown, I think, by the Spirit of God, and speak it out. It's time for us now to, um, I suppose, stand up and be counted. I think it's very easy in the church for women to hide behind the men. Um, we can't do that any longer. It's been too long. But I think also it's our, our scriptures are, are set in the context of a male-dominated culture. Um, and I think it's easy then for us to say, well, that's the way it's supposed to be today. But no, it's not. It's simple as that. It's not. It can't be. Because God made man and woman in their image. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important that we pay attention and read the texts a lot more closely than we have been reading them. Yeah. Uh -huh. I know, well, well, in my last year um, at university, um, I had studied, uh, in my Old Testament studies, it was uh, the Book of Judges. Mm -hmm. And it was that really... Um, it really made me, you know, challenged me, you know, yeah. and really made me reflect because uh, the treatment and of women and judges is yeah. it's just, oh, my goodness. And you think, why are we not hearing these stories in yeah. church? You know, because yeah. it's like as if like, well, there's some stories that we can have and there's like other ones. No, no, we'll just we'll just keep that out the way and um, we'll just forget about that. And you think, well, we we really do need to be discussing them. And it made me really question what's in the lectionary, you know, and like looking at, you know, like, well, yeah. why why are we not covering everything? You know, mm -hmm. why are some stories getting forgotten? And it seems to be the stories that are forgotten are the stories that are about, you know, women in particular, the 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 the, the mm -hmm. terrible treatment of women. Um, and sometimes as well, you get that impression that maybe the when the when they were writing these things, especially you know um, the New Testament, it was like, well, uh, Jesus might have uh, appeared to a woman first after his uh, resurrection, <laughs> but but let's just kind of like let's just coast over that and go straight <laughs> to the guys. <laughs> so I think it's uh, I think uh, over the the coming months, uh, I, I'm looking forward to really getting my teeth stuck into this. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think like, the woman at the well might have um, evangelised a whole village, but we won't bother saying what her name was. You know, <laughs> there are so many nameless women and girls. You know, uh, Jairus's daughter or Manoah's wife, Samson's mother. You know, uh -huh. um, it's so important that we allow women to be named again. Now, this I must say, uh, this doesn't mean that we're. Um, raging rampant feminists out to despise men or put men in a place beneath us. I think we need to say that up front because we're not, none of us are, but we are, we are women and we're made in the image of God and we have a voice and God has called us to have a voice and to use that voice in the sphere of ministry of word and sacrament. Other women won't have that privilege 
But part of what we want to do here, I think, is to say to people, come on, women, stand up, use your voice. You've been given a voice. Silence no longer. Mm-hmm. Yes. So for our first episodes, we are going to be looking at Hagar. Um, and for the for people who might not know who Hagar is, you might have some you know, people you know that are, are new to faith, um, or some people might just have forgotten the story or maybe not know all the details. I'm going to read um, the scripture. So it's uh, I'll read the first part um, of the story, and then we can have a wee chat about that, ladies, and then we can then move on to the second part of the story. Okay, so this we're first introduced to um, to Hagar in Genesis sixteen. So we are. So I'll 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 start reading. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived for ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, your slave girl is in your power. Do it to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild a wild ass of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are Elroy, for she said, Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Beerlahairoi, it lies between Kadesh and Berod. Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So what's your thoughts, ladies, on that um, first part of Hagar's story? Well, right away, I heard the words slave and gave. 
you know, she was a slave, an Egyptian slave girl. Of course, the, this, she was given or purchased when they were in Egypt, when Abraham lied to Pharaoh about Sarai being his wife. Um, and she was a, like a teapot. She was an article. <laughs> so it, Sarai gave this human being made in the image of God to another human being made in the image of God as if she was a teapot. Here's a wee present for you, darling. Yeah, so it bothered me. Um, but again, it's all part of the context, the cultural context. Um, you know, I thought that another woman treating an, a woman treating another woman like that, I, I would hope that in these days we don't do that, but I'm sure we do. Of course we do. Women treat each other badly all the time. But it just struck me that Hagar was perceived as an object by another woman, Sarai, to be used as a vessel to carry another human being. Um, so that, that was what struck me right away. Mm -hmm. I think what struck me kind of built on that a wee bit because um, it was when Hagar becomes pregnant and um, she starts to sort of treat Sarah, it says, with contempt. Yeah. But it's, it's this um, competition that can sometimes arise between women. That's what kind of it made me think of, you know, um, maybe when, if a, if a man is uh, cheating on a woman and how often the two women end up at each other's throats mm -hmm. um, rather than looking at the, the person who's actually caused the, the issue. And that, that, that just made me think of that. And, and again, I guess Abraham, um, Sort of diminishes Hagar again because he said, "Well, she, he just says to Sarah, well, she's your servant, so mm -hmm. do what you want.'" And and Hagar's so horrible to her that she runs away. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I know because what um what what struck me was what what struck me was um that a uh, you know. Uh, well, either it is another woman that's doing this, you know, to to Hagar. But I'm thinking, you know, see when she's uh, dealing, you know, she she's viewing uh, Sarai with contempt. I, I'm th now I know I'm thinking about this from a modern perspective, mm. you know. But actually, I'm thinking would I think if somebody did that to me, I would be angry, mm -hmm. you know, that I've I've been like, you know forced to kind of, you know, have sex with somebody against my will, you know, I've been given away, I've been used as like an object, and then I've been, you know, impregnated, you know, and like this couple, you know, are like, you know, Sarah thinks this is going to be her child, you know, she's going to be blessed by this child, and you're like, but so is Hagar thinking, well, is my child? You know, there's there's all these multitudes um, of emotions there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and and in a way, you can also understand, you know, how, how sad, you know, Sarah must feel, you mm -hmm. know, to get to this point and how maybe she's viewed by other women, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the circle. Um, you know, she's not been able to have any children and then it must be an absolutely desperate longing within her. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, I think, sorry. No, on you go, Linda. 
I think all throughout scripture, this barrenness is used as a, a stick to beat women with, isn't it? And it's always the assumption that the woman is the barren one. You know, Hannah, the mother of um, Samuel, Manoah's wife, the mother of Samson, um, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Um, the grief that you can feel coming off these women because they are perceived as barren. Of course, there were no tests in those days, so it was hard to prove. But, um, I mean, in this context, again, you know, we must always remember to read Scripture in context because a context uh, a text without a context becomes a pretext very easily. And what we, we want to avoid doing is putting um, a, a meaning onto this that's, that's not there really. So, I mean, in its context, for us, it's abhorrent, but in its context, that's just the way it is. Um, but I think what we do is we allow that context to influence us and, and we allow the idea, you know, behind the hat, oh, she can't have children, you know, um, she, she's not really a full a full woman, you know, and, and the Psalms even talks about a man who has a lot of sons, not daughters, but sons, uh, is quiver full of arrows is truly blessed. You know, it's it, the whole culture um, is very basic. It's ancient. It's primitive. And yet somehow God uses this cultural context to come close to us and come alongside us and, and reveal something of God's nature to us, you know, because we can see that God is not happy with the, the context of what's going on here, with the contempt of Hagar, with the wounded deep sorrow of Sarai, and with Abram's, I mean, it seems to me like he's a bit of a halfwit, you know? Uh, <laughs> you know he's, just passing, he's abdicating all responsibility. He's the father of nations. <laughs> in, the, in the making, God help us, you know. Um, but, but I love that, you know, the angel of the Lord comes to, to Hagar when she runs away. And, and I love that passage. Where is it? Um, it's all, it reminds me of Mary's confrontation or, or, yes. or conversations, a better word, with Gabriel. Verse 11 onwards, and the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you've conceived and you shall bear a son, and you shall call him Ishmael. Emmanuel, um, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. So, so God wasn't blind to her awful situation. I love that. And the fact that she, she, she called God El Roy or El Roy, um, the God who sees, mm -hmm. the God who sees her affliction, it tells us something really important about the intimacy God has with us. Um, and I love, 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 love that God saw her when nobody else saw her. And I don't just mean physically in the wilderness. God saw her. God saw her heart and her sorrow. That speaks deep, deep, deep to me. That, that really does. But I do wonder what Hagar thought when she was told what her son would be. I, I was the same way like this. <laughs> you were pregnant with a baby and you were told that that was its fate. You would be kind of worried about it. Well, I looked that up, a wild ass of a man, because I thought like you, oh my goodness, you want to have a child like that. Your head would be turned. And apparently it's, the image is about freedom and liberation. Oh. Not, not, the, the wild ass can't be contained or tied up or caught or harnessed or put on the spit to be roasted. And it's a, it's a, like a polar opposite of Hagar's situation where she's a slave. She's tangled up in this horrible mess. She's got no power. She's got told what to do, even to the point of giving birth. 
but her son will be the polar opposite. He will be wild and free, and he will be able to roam about the wilderness um, or roam about wherever he wants to roam about. He's not going to be like her. And so uh, apparently that's what it means. Mm -hmm. I love that. Again, God's turning the ring upside down and back to front and inside out and challenging the culture. I mean, God's challenging the culture. And here's us. We we hope with this we we podcast to begin to challenge the culture. Mm -hmm. If God can do it, surely we should be imitating God and challenging our culture. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Um, well, will I move on to the will I move on to the next part of the story then? No. And it's, it comes to uh, Genesis 21. So now, um, now it's the Sarah and, well, Sarah and Abraham have been renamed. So they're now Sarah and Abraham. Um, so we're now at uh, Genesis 21. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son whom Sarah bore him, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named after you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot, for she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew up 
He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. I get quite emotional whenever I read that. <laughs> Why? Oh, just, uh, I, I feel that it's like you can feel a despair, you know, in that mm -hmm. desert, you know, cast out and um, you just, and then when, but God hasn't forgotten her, you know, mm -hmm. that's that's the bit, mm -hmm. you know. And like, I'm a bit angry as well. Like, I'm angry that, you know, that, that she's been sent out and actually God said to Abraham to listen to Sarah. And I know it's, and it reminds you of these bits, you know, God does know the bigger picture, you know, but uh, sometimes it can be hard to, yeah. you know, to go with it, can't it? I think that's one of the things we're called to do, um, to look through the eyes of God as opposed to our own eyes, to see the bigger picture. And I think that's where faith comes in, where we can't see what's going on all around, all we can see what's in front of our faces. But, but one of the things that I love about this is in verse 10, so she said to Abraham, this is Sarah, cast out this slave woman with her son. So again, Hagar's nameless. She doesn't even do her the justice of calling her her name. But when you look further down, she's no longer nameless because the angel of the Lord says to her, Hagar, do not be afraid. The angel of the Lord knew her name. God never forgot her name. God never forgot her name. And I love that. I love the um, the picture of um, Ishmael as he grows up is quite strong. Mm. You know that he you just have this you know because he's thrived in the wilderness that and he becomes skillful you know he's skillful in archery which is an important skill at that time. You, know, you just think you just sort of imagine them as as quite strong and quite robust and mm. um, and it kind of takes away because I think here in the first part you can't help again through a modern lens you sort of think about you know children who are rejected especially in favor of another child mm -hmm. and you think how wounding that must be mm -hmm. but you know God's given them um the miracle of water you know that well that wasn't there is now there and just that strength in, in verse 20 it makes you think well he's, he's all right he's, he's he's you know he's he's got through it he's not too too upset about being second best mm. but, but it's also it says verse 20 as you pointed out god was with the boy and he grew up Mm -hmm. And there's something about this Egyptian woman. Was she was she Hebrew? Was she part of the the Hebrew community in Israel in Egypt, or was she a, a one who worshipped a foreign god? Um, because here's a woman with an, a Hebrew name, although she's from Egypt, and it says that God was with her boy, and she recognised God, and God gave her the first woman, I think, a covenant in the Old Testament in the whole Bible, and and. And she, I think, other than Adam and Eve, she's the first to see God. Mm -hmm, that's foreign, right. Yeah. Foreign woman, uh -huh. a foreigner, um, and this foreigner's son, God is with this foreigner's son, and and this foreign, this God also sees her, acknowledges her, 
says her name, tells her not to be afraid, says, I'll be with your son, don't worry, and finds water for her, gives her life. And it, again, it, it expands who God is in my mind. Um, we, we try to make God small, bite-sized pieces, and it couldn't be further from the worst thing we could do is you know, doing that. But there's something about this beautiful image of God being with that wee boy who had such a rough start in life. And it comforts me to know that there's children out there and we know nothing about them and they have hellish lives. Somehow God is with them. God sees them. God knows them. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's sort of, um, it breaks down the horrible black lines that sometimes we draw around or people draw around who's in and who's out with God I don't yeah. think and I mean I said it's something I feel really passionately about that there are no black lines we 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 can't really dare to know who's in and who's out with God yeah. we just have to yeah. um, treat everybody with love and respect well um, either everyone belongs or no one belongs yeah and God is in everyone belongs God in my mind, you know. Yeah. Um, I think we're too quick in the church to say in, out, nah, not good enough, you know. It's easy, isn't it? It's binary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what do you think um that that the story of Hagar, you know, can can speak into our lives today? Like I to, to us women today. You know, how, how do you think that that story can, you know, speak into our lives? Well, I think, um, I mean, her situation, again, through a modern lens, is something that we would all think was a horrendous thing to happen, to be a slave, to, um, you know, be essentially raped have a child then be chucked out and to be have no money no means um and yet god not only gives her life but um you know promises to to make a nation through her son as well um you know god takes the the dire circumstances and i mean i, I can i can relate to that you know because i've been and no, obviously I've not been in the wilderness or, you know, but I've been at points in my life where I've been, you know, at my wit's end and not really sure what I can do about about things. And frequently that's when God, you know, comes and, and shows me a way. Mm-hmm. And I often think that God must be just going like this, can you not just do it without getting to the end of the road? Could we just, you know, could you let me step in before this? But, um, but I think I think that's a strong message that, you know, even at times that seem desperate, that seem impossible, um, God's in it, God's there, and God's um, seeing seeing us. If we, if we feel that we're invisible or nobody cares. That's a lie. God yeah. cares and God sees us. Totally. And I think for me, it's that God doesn't see male or female. God sees God's beloved children. And the fact that I believe God um, works, walks, 
inspires, affirms Hagar, it just confirms for me that um, we're, for generations, women have been second rate or second class or in, seen as incapable of this, that or the other. From the very get-go in scripture, God sees women as capable. God entrusts this covenant to this Hagar, this woman Hagar. And it's seeming like we were saying earlier about the New Testament, um, that the first person that Jesus appeared to was a woman. You know, um, and there's so much going on in the Holy Land at the minute in terms of excavations that affirm the role of women alongside Jesus that we need to be paying attention to as well. But, but as I say, I think for me, it's this intimacy that God invites us to participate in. And, and, and like you, Moira, I think I, I ask myself often, why do you have to be in a suffering situation before you trust God? <laughs> um, you know, why can you not just get on with it? And I think it's just we're human, you know. Um, so, so I think that I love so much about this story. I'm filled with so much hope in this story. And I'm filled with great joy of, in terms of who God is in this story. Um, the tenderness of God, the intimacy of God, the the sight and the hearing of God, and the fact that God sees the beginning, the end, and what's in in the middle there, and and God knows. And so, in the words of Mother Julian, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Just get over yourself, Linda, and get on with it. You know, it just makes me think of. Um... In the summer, I was um, speaking to a guy who runs a, a group for recovering addicts. And he said, um, I mean, my best thinking got me in prison and addicted. And that was my best thinking, you know. So I've decided not to rely on that anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so every morning I wake up and I, I give it myself over to God. You know, and it was six years on, so it wasn't like a... A short time, but but it, it was just that that phrase, my best thinking. <laughs> it just makes me think of that. <laughs> yeah, my best thinking. It's not really got a patch on God's best thinking. <laughs> uh, no, no, both of you have like are quite have went quite spiritual there. <laughs> now, I always like to have like I always like to kind of finish off with like a wee kind of action, you know, <laughs> whenever I'm doing a sermon or anything, I like to kind of send folk out with a wee action. What, like to the children's song, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, something to do. And, and, and actually what I've been thinking about with, with the story of Hagar is, is you know, are we, are we raising up other women or mm. are we are we contributing you know, to to other women's exploitation. Yes. And uh, and I'm thinking. I think for for me, I'm going to be thinking about you know, where is you know where is you know the things that I'm using made. You know, who's making them? Um, are they getting a good wage? And then actually, actively maybe like like after like black the the Black Lives Matter um you know, protests um, last year, you know, people were actively, you know, supporting uh, Black-owned businesses. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe um, maybe something I could be doing is actively supporting, you know, like maybe women in 
uh, you know, certain areas in the world if, you know, like that are making clothes or, you know, making gifts or food or whatever, you know, support it, you know, and actually say, well, instead of getting the mass produced stuff where people are potentially being exploited, seek out where, you know, uh, women are getting, you know, a, a, a good wage, you know, a good wage that they can, you know, look after their children, send their children to school um, mm-hmm. and actually prosper in life. So that's it. That's where I'm thinking from. I've went all practical. Here <laughs> in Scotland, Laura, the Church of Scotland works with um, a group called Weevolution. And the Priority Areas Network set this up after meeting with women in India and learning about what they're doing in terms of empowering them to set up their own businesses. So here, even in Glasgow, there I know of a place that does laundry, and it's all women, and they run the business, and they run a catering business as well. So check that out, WE Evolution, Weevolution, and see what you can do even here in Scotland. It's incredible. And the Church of Scotland's at the heart of that. Woohoo! <laughs> so we're, we're nearing the end of our, our podcast, but before we finish, we, we can talk briefly um, about some of the issues um, that that are that are currently affecting um, women just now. Now, Moira's our guest today, and I know that Moira had picked up on something. Um, that had uh, struck her. Um, it's to do with COVID, um, and it's to do with the high, te- high technology. Oh, wait a minute. There we go. So, yeah. oh, where am I going? There we go. That's good. That was in the new in the news this week. Um, it was a poster that the government had put out um, to encourage people to stay home and save lives. But the point was, I don't know if you noticed it, but the the four images, there's only one man in the images and he's having a wee rest on the couch. <laughs> in all the other images, the women are looking after the kids, basically, mm-hmm. um, and doing the domestic chores. And there was a great... Um, a great sort of it's been a great outcry it's actually been pulled because you know people were saying what are we still in the 1950s here and I guess I mean I guess it's it's a sort of perpetuation of what a woman's role should be and there was a couple of news articles that I read as well that that sort of um, came up with various um, statistics to show that in the lockdown that the responsibility for homeschooling and childcare has fallen on women's shoulders and that women are are um really struggling to to do their jobs um and you know take care of their kids and that something has to give um but there's also i mean also the lockdown the domestic violence and lockdowns increased yeah. i think women women are really um taken seem you know by all accounts to be taken a a, a big Hit with mm-hmm. with lockdown physically as well, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and I know you you have a a young daughter Moira, and like she's um school age. Yeah. Uh, so so how are you managing to to juggle? You know, homeschooling, looking after the house, plus plus do your job. I just <laughs> and feel studies. <laughs> <laughs> <Wonder Woman. laughs> 
Um, I just feel, I mean, I, I just feel that it's it's really not fair on Macy Grace because, um, you know, her sister's so much older than she is. And so she's quite, you know, quite isolated without friends. Mm. Um, but also I'm, I'm not really... I'm not really giving her the time, you know, I'm not really giving her the time that I want to give her, you know, normally um, in a normal week, um, when she comes in from school, I would stop working and give that time. Um, and I think, I mean, I'm I'm fortunate, there's only me, um, there's, oh, sorry, there's only Macy Grace, I've got friends, lots of um, her friends, mums, you know, there's three at home at different ages and um, you know the people with we've got we've got a garden here you know that we can get out in and um, but there's lots of people who are you know for physical space within the home are really really on top of each other yes I mean I think it's mm. it's a it's a really hard thing and especially at this time of year when the kids can't at least in this you know earlier on in the year the kids could be out of the park and you know getting well the, the play parks were closed then play parks are open now, but it's too cold and wet to go. Um, so, and from um, and from uh, Maisie Gracie's friends, like parents, is as and like is it like the the mums that are picking up the bulk of the the homeschooling and the looking after the, the you know the house plus try to also do that their own work and you know Definitely. study support to do it. Definitely, and even even my sister. So, um, her husband's really good. You know, he he steps in and does a lot. But quite often, her boys are four and six, and quite often, if she's in the house, they're just at her. You know, they just want her. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's not even necessarily her husband's fault. He's mm. he's trying to sort of step in, but the kids the kids know that if the kids you know that, um. You know, if if kids are looking for something, they'll go and have a look like this, and then the last dad and dad will have a look like this, and then mm-hmm. go and get mum. You know, and eventually whatever's we've been looked for is found. You know, there is that. There's still that dynamic, I think, in households where the buck stops with mum. Yeah, my dear friend is a minister of Ward and Sacrament, and of course he's having to work from home. He, he and his his wonderful wife, who's is Wonder Woman, have four children from uh, primary seven down to primary one. And the other day I was on Zoom and I was saying, I speak to the children most days, and I was saying, so what's on your agenda today for, for school? And they were saying, oh, daddy's teaching us today. Daddy's teaching us today. And I'm like, wow, why? And, and then I spoke to daddy later and daddy said, Linda, I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. I don't know how my wife does this. I don't know how teachers take a whole class load of them. Um, but but he was teaching that day because his wife works one day a week in a community garden. And it was the morning of her, only the morning, not even the day. But he he just, he couldn't cope. Um, obviously, he could cope with the, the work and sums and, and writing and that sort of thing. But it was he said it was the mindset that was required to not be daddy, but to be teacher. But women have so many different roles. And in the home, um, I would go to my mommy if I wanted. I wouldn't go anywhere near my dad. What would he know anyway? I would go to him <laughs> and my mom's homework. But, but it was my mommy. And I think this the gift of motherhood, um, it's a curse as well. Because 
when you become a parent, Richard Rohr says, when you become a parent, think about Richard Rohr, you live with your heart on the outside of your body. Your heart is relocated. You become vulnerable. You become um, so, so not your own self anymore. And I think that that gift, that gift is, I, I'm not a mother, so I, have, I've, I can look at it from the outside in. And, and I see that women have such a heavy load to carry. And I've often thought, a woman minister, you two are women ministers. And I think, how do they do it? How do you guys do it? I don't know. But what I do know is that God comes close. Mm. Um, and I know that God strengthens you as you do your work, as you do your mother duties, as you do your educational duties as well. And maybe that's me being a bit naive. But you know what? I'm okay to be naive because either God's God or God's not God. And we either have faith and in, in lean in God or we, we, we don't have faith and lean in God. But my heart goes out to the women who have to be all things to all people, particularly their children. And I, I don't think it would do any harm if we could acknowledge, I suppose, when this is all over and, and let our salaries reflect what women do in terms of education. Um, and, and men, of course, teachers don't get paid anywhere near what they, they should get paid, I don't think. Um, but I think it's important that we we affirm and acknowledge, just even begin to acknowledge what women are doing in the home in terms of, of education and everything else. And I'm glad they pulled that poster. That's a piece of nonsense. <laughs> oh, I know. I know, it really is. Because uh, the other thing that I had I had seen and actually really, um, it, it I, I've seen how, because I was thinking about, because uh, I was thinking about Hagar, you know, as as a single mum, you know, mm. and and that's that is like because I've seen a few um, stories um, focusing on single mums um, homeschooling with maybe just with maybe just a phone, you yeah. know, one phone between yeah. like you know a, a number of children yeah. to try and and do the the homeschooling. Yeah. Um. So I was really pleased to see that you know I think there's a few um different charities now that are asking people you know to donate like work laptops that aren't getting used they can yeah. upgrade them and things like that and they've been giving them to families mm -hmm. but it's just if you don't actually have the if you don't have the resources mm -hmm. you know for for to to have the technology to do the homeschooling. You know, how much affording the data, you know, affording the data or the Wi-Fi as oh, well. I mean, I think that um, children, I think that with this pandemic, we should not be pushing children into this formal academic education. I think we should be sitting down, playing games with them, running about like Daphne's outside where possible and reading stories and having them read stories and then just hold them all back a year. Mm -hmm. Just a year when you're young, what's a year? And then let them once we get over the pandemic, let them get back to their schooling then. But a year of play, mm. even when you're 15, where you can just play. Let's get back to being letting mm. them be children. But what do you know when you're 15? How are you going to possibly know what you want to do the rest of your life and pick all well, the subjects? That's so, such a good point, Linda, because I worked for a um as a sort of support worker for a teenager's mental health charity. And one of the things we would do is take them some take them away on a day trip. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, and we would arrive, say, at the beach and um, we would all be too cool for school, you know, and just like, mm-hmm. and then we start to play rounders and paddle and exactly. you just see the years dropping off them, you know, and, and actually just letting the front down, letting the, 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 the relief at just being able to shrug off this pseudo-adulthood, you know, because, mm-hmm. I mean, we are adults, but, I mean, it's still a shock. <laughs> <laughs> let them play for a whole year so what if you don't go to university when you're 18 or 17 or so what so what if you never go to university do something that gives you life do something that makes you want to get up in the morning and go and sing on top of your lungs I think that we're we're too caught up in the idea that education is all about books and computers mm-hmm. education is so the university of life's a great university I attended it for most of my life I didn't go to university until I was 30 you know, so let's let our children and our, our teenagers be children and teenagers. I know it would just take so much pressure off of, you know, families at the moment. And especially, you know, especially women that are having to, you know, pick up all this, you know, extra responsibility, you know, and, and, and let, you know, let mums just be mums, you know. Yeah. I think um, we need to, what you were saying earlier, though, to just bring it back, um for final thing, I think what you were saying about, you know, what are we doing to affirm, and just to sort of say, look, you're 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 doing a, an almost impossible thing here. Yes. You're doing so well, mm-hmm. um, and not just sort of say, well, we're all doing it. So, mm-hmm. but actually, you know, you are doing really well because mm-hmm. I'm struggling. Yeah. No, so. Um, it's a break. It's Let's a break. You know, let uh, Nicola Sturgeon. I love her. I think she's the best thing since sliced bread. Maybe I'll write to her this week and say, "You're going to just stop school for a year and give them all a wee break." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> we'll send her the podcast, Linda. <laughs> we'll send her, just send her the link. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it. Good. Listen to us, Linda. We, we know what we're talking about, guy. What, Nicola? <laughs> you know who makes the best parents? Single people with no kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that is just a good place to finish. So thank you. Thank you, Moira, for joining us today. That's just been wonderful to, to have you d- join with us to discuss, um, you know, there's the story of Hagar and, you know, he, find out more about you and your life and uh it's just been it's been wonderful to, to for you to join us and thank you linda uh just for for all that, that you have offered today uh both of you have actually given me lots to think about today <laughs> for leading us so well uh, yes, i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed it Thank you so much. So hopefully you you will join us um sometime soon, Moira, for another episode. That would be that'd be wonderful. Yes, of course. I'd love to. Anytime. Brilliant. Thank you. And so uh, me and Linda will join you all again next month. Um, and what would be really great is if um when we when we put this up that you leave some comments. Um, that'd be fantastic if you've got any questions we'll be happy to engage with you um we like a wee debate don't we Linda (laughs) it'd just be really good to hear what people have got to say and we'll put up an accompanying blog along with this as well so until until next month 
um, when we will uh, join with you all again. Have a good one. Uh, hopefully by then we might be a wee bit, you know, things might be coming out of lockdown. Hope with any with any luck, yes. Um, and so we will see you then, folks. So bye for now. Bye. Bye.